Good morning, afternoon, evening, etc., etc., and welcome to the Right on Track podcast once again, where we talk about all things Thomas the Tank Engine and friends. I, of course, am Parry. I am joined, as always, by the wonderful Connor Jonas. Oh, thank I'm wonderful. I'm wonderful. And unfortunately, once again, we have not been blessed with the presence of Mr. Thomas Denham, but we do have a special guest who has kindly stepped forward to replace him. It is none other than NWR58, a.k.a. Jack. Welcome to the podcast, Jack. Hi, it is an honour and pleasure to be on. Well, it's an honour and pleasure to have you here. We will be chatting to Jack in just a moment, but before we do, Connor, please tell us what can we expect to hear about in this episode of Right on Track. Oh, this is a really interesting episode. We are covering stories that all have sort of side characters, characters that we haven't seen in the limelight for quite a while, and these episodes we're going to be covering with them are Twin Trouble, The World's Strongest Engine, and Scaredy Engines. Excellent. So there's a lot to look forward to here in episode 46, but before we get into the reviews, Jack, we will do what we do always whenever there's a guest on the program, and we'll start by asking you what was, or what is rather, your earliest memory of Thomas the Tank Engine? What was it that got you hooked? Um, When I was younger, my parents took me to my cousin's place. My cousin was, I think, a year older than me. He had a Thomas Wooden Railway set. I believe that he uh, had the Roundhouse set and the the Shining Time Station set. And we just started to play trains. And I guess that's where my love for Thomas grew. I couldn't stop like playing with the Thomas Wooden Railway. So my parents bought me my own. And they even bought me VHS tapes of uh, the show for me to watch. And it's been stuck with you ever since. It has been stuck with me for ever since. <laughs> you know, ironically, it was actually the Thomas and the Gen Engine VGS tapes that I was given to watch. Really? Yeah. Uh, my very first episode was an experience too was Thomas and the Gen Engine. Cool, because that was your first episode. Have you got any like particular favorite episodes? Well, I have a few favorite episodes based on each series. Thomas and the Gentleman being one, and then I got Percy's Chocolate Crunch, the Jack episodes, and then the World's Engine. And one good question is, what do you do now to help continue your love of Thomas? I make Thomas content. I write my own stories, yeah, and then I publish them on the internet for people to enjoy. So are you telling me, Jack, and I'm sorry, but it would be oh. remiss if I didn't say this. <laughs> Are you telling me that you have a Thomas the Tank channel? Yes, Connor, I do have a Thomas the Tank channel. <laughs> so, those of you on the Twitters and the Thomas social groups, you may have heard that saying floating around. Denim's mentioned it with a few of our previous guests, Aaron and Lachlan. And it's appeared in YouTube comments and tweets and so on. And Jack, I'm afraid that you are the cause of this. It wasn't intentional, mind you. It just happened on accident. (laughs) (laughs) See, see, this is the secret. This is like the arc of the Thomas the Tank channel. What is the story here, Jack? Oh, boy. I was on a Discord call with Aaron, Tram Engine Studios. 
And my dad walked in. I forgot what the whole conversation was about. But then he said to me, I forgot to mute my mic because I'm kind of silly. And he said, oh, yeah, I showed my friends George Thomas the Tank Channel. Aaron heard the whole thing and he thought it was hilarious. And because of that little notion, I am now constantly been bombarded whenever I talk to both Aaron and Darren. I would hear, I showed my friend your Thomas the Tank Channel. I showed your, I showed my friend your Thomas the Tank Channel. Yeah, yeah. Oh, I'm glad that, you know, that there is a reason why it's about. Now, Jack, so, so you do have a channel, you post stories, you do remakes and entirely custom stories on there. Yep. But not only that, you have got a, a, a very interesting thing, because you use mainly what I call blue track characters. You've got Tomy, Trackmaster, Playround models. Mm-hmm. You do something really special with them that really brings them to life and brings the emotion to them. Is it the model making or the faces? Because I am kind of thinking yeah. on both. It's, 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 well, no, 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 no it, it, it's both. You've got uh, entirely custom models there that you may have commissioned and you've helped made yourself. All of them are modified in some way. In fact, uh, as of right now, your most recent video is your uh, collection video where you show, I believe it's 77 individual models and each of them have got their own individual paper face packs which you actually change and swap depending on the scene to make it look like that they're moving their eyes around and their expressions just like the model series it is something i love so much about your content because it brings the model series idea into a, a toy box and it makes it into a professional amazing story it's brilliant oh thank you <laughs> i am learning like all the after effects techniques i really wanted to try my hands and making the eyes move digitally in the future right right okay someday someday i'm not i'm not quite that i'm not quite at that experience level to do that yet at, uh, early days yet early, early days, days. Yet, <laughs> early days now, since we've gotten the uh, idea of who you are and what you do out of the way, how about we move into our first episode? That sounds like an excellent idea, Connor. And what we're going to be looking at first is the episode Twin Trouble featuring none other than the Scottish twin engines Donald and Douglas. Oh, and no! Clip, yeah, uh, uh, no, uh, no, the Scots are back. Oh, our apologies to Scottish people everywhere, by the way. For, and, for the accents, and... <laughs> for the accents. <laughs> well, just in general, uh. really, for our existence, you know. But we need to set the scene here. Donald and Douglas are travelling through the countryside, hauling a heavy load when they come across trouble. One day... Donald and Douglas were chuffing through the countryside, hauling a heavy load. Down the line, Trevor the traction engine had been struggling with a big cartload of hay. Crossing the tracks, the cart's wheels had broken off. Then Trevor heard a whistle. Oh no, Trevor cried. Donald could see the cart. Stop, he cried. 
McDonald's driver applied the brakes, but it was too late. Luckily, no one was hurt. Stop being pushy, Donald snapped. Don't call me pushy, Douglas snapped back. You shouldn't have pushed me into the cart, huffed Donald. You pulled me, I mean, argued Douglas. Didn't he? Did. Didn't he know. did, and he didn't. Did. Uh, yes, Donald has been thrown in a ditch within the first minute of Twin Trouble. Uh, series 6 episode written by Brian Truman. Uh, and it's this event at the start where Donald has been thrown in a ditch because Douglas supposedly pushed him, and Douglas says that Donald supposedly pulled him, it is the entire crux of this episode, because now these two twin brothers are going to be bickering and arguing until the conclusion. That they are. Now, this story does something really interesting, and something which hasn't really been done... It wasn't really done in Reverend Audrey's works either. It has Donald and Douglas actually working together. Mm, Now, in the books, of course, they worked separately. So Donald and Douglas both had their own tasks on Duck's branch line. But here, Michael Angelis says specifically that they always work together or nearly always work together. Well, they're brothers. They're twins. I (laughs) I guess people, when you say both Donald and Douglas, they would assume they both work together. That that's a good point on how they both work together, but I feel it does like the the railway series charm of having them be their own identities. Because especially up until this point in the show, Donald and Douglas were both very different engines. They had similarities from the Scottish accent to the paintwork and names, but Donald was always seen as the more placid kind and more cheeky, whilst Douglas was a bit more rough and tough, rescuing Oliver, crushing a brake fan. By accident, mind you. Yeah, well, fair, by accident, by accident. But still, still, they were their own individuals. And then come to Series 6, they have been cloned, and they're just told that they're the same. <laughs> it's, it's, it's sad. Now, this is... Perhaps the first main role of Donald and Douglas since the third series, and the first time having a lead role together since the second series. Correct, yes. And it's the first time the two of them have both uttered lines of dialogue since series four. So it's been a while since we've seen these guys return, but there's been uh, someone else that's returned that, that we didn't have too much light on. We heard in the clip, Trevor. Ah, oh, of course. It's his first speaking role since the third series, Buzz Buzz. His only speaking role in the sixth series, and the last one until the ninth series, oh. Henry and the Flagpole. At the end of the day, Trevor gets the short stick. He, he always does, and he always has, really. Yes, yeah, sadly, good to see Trevor back. But, you know, it, it's sad that it is only for a small part. Now, I, I do have a qualm here. And what is that, Master Connor? <laughs> now, in, of course, film and theatre practice, there's something called Chekhov's guy. Mm-hmm. Introduce something as a key part of the story and whatnot. And I do understand that. However, it appears that every time that we see something crossing the crossing, particularly a rickety wooden cart, it breaks down. 
<laughs> Every single time. It's a bit of a trade. I, I do understand that, of course, we wouldn't be hearing about it unless something was happening. But are these level crossings on Sodor not maintained? Because we've had, you know, a horrid lorry breakdown on it. We've got a lime cart breakdown on it. A hay cart breakdown on it. Who's repairing the carts on Sodor? Hang on, this is the real conspiracy here. You know, who's not fixing the carts properly and <laughs> causing all these accidents? <laughs> we, we, we discussed the conspiracy about all the engines being purposefully sabotaged. But the greater conspiracy is Sam the Farmer, <laughs> who's sabotaging all the carts so that he can fix them. Okay. Okay. But yes, so uh, the twins argue all day about whose fault for the accident it was. By the way, it was Douglas because you can actually see Donald breaking and Douglas pushing. Anyways, uh, and then they split up. The band's broken up and they'll never ever get back together until about three minutes later. You're getting ahead of yourself, Connor. What actually happens is the Bat Controller comes to the yard to see... Donald Douglas and Thomas for some reason we don't know why he's there but anyway and he says who'd like to work with Duck and Donald actually volunteers to the fact controller's surprise uh, but he agrees anyway and then Donald initially enjoys working with Duck and eventually they start to have a row too and Douglas is left to work on his own and the day after that is when Donald has a nasty accident and Duck, knowing that he can't help Donald back onto the rails, calls upon the only engine who can, that being... Henry? No. <laughs> Douglas. Connor. Douglas. 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 Sorry. Sorry. You keep track sorry, of Sorry. I, I thought that they need a strong engine for it. I'll get into that later. But... <laughs> <laughs> but yes. Okay. So, so Douglas helps Donald back on the rails... And they're all friends. They'll never argue again. Or, or, or they'll have a row over who's actually sorry, as hmm. siblings oh, do. Oh, we, we haven't mentioned at this point as well, Trevor is one of the returning characters. The other is actually Duck, because this is his first speaking role since the series four-story Fish. He did appear in series five, but it was just as a background char- character or during a montage sequence or whatever. Hmm. Exactly, exactly. I mean, if you really think about it, this whole episode is just one full of fan service. Yeah, it is. The the only part that is a big confusion is why Thomas is in a siding with Annie and Clarabelle next to Donald and Douglas at Cullen Station. And hold on, more to the point, why would the Fat Controller go to see Donald, Douglas and Thomas and be surprised at Donald volunteering himself? Yeah. I mean, isn't that the whole reason he's going over there? Because he needs one engine to volunteer with Duck? And, you know, hasn't Thomas got a branch line? Yes. I think it has something to do with the changeover to his entertainment. I think Thomas needs to appear in every episode at this point. Mm. Sadly, as Thomas is the main character, the titular character of the show, he needs to appear. Mm -hmm. In every episode now. So uh, you'll be hearing a lot more of him. Now, the sets in some places are a bit too barren. And, mm-hmm. like, mm-hmm. especially in the main line. This is the first time that we've seen the main line in Series 6. Including the viaduct. Yeah, including the viaduct. 
seen it for a while. We may have seen a clip or two, but this has been the most we've seen of the main line. Mm. And throughout the entire thing, it feels very cut and paste. It's just two or three tracks, a straight line, and then bush, 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 yep. tree, bush, bush. Ooh, signal box. It's it's ridiculous, and it's boring. The sets, I feel, come Series 6. There are some parts which are nice, but it is just a straight track, or maybe a curved track, if you're feeling, you know, ooh, and that's it. It's the same set, just with different dressing. I mm. I got a few complaints about the the TR, the level crossing set. For starters, we get it. Like, Kart is broken on the middle of the, of the level crossing. But where are the crossing gates? Where are these damn crossing gates? It is a main line. And also, more to the point, there is a signal box right next to that level crossing. Why has the signalman not done his job? (laughs) Unless that accident has literally just occurred, we can bring back the good old saying, blame the signalman. Yes, we can. Or, my new theory, maybe the signalman's on these little schemes to help Road vehicles get repaired after they get involved in these crashes and mishaps. <laughs> I've read articles before about, oh, Thomas the Tank Engine is a dystopian future. I'm like, that's ridiculous. I'm here for there is an underground scheme where they're purposefully sabotaging the vehicles and engines and infrastructure so that the Mechanics Institute and all the workers are obviously going to be out of the job because vehicles do half the work for them. Mm. Sabotage it so that they can repair them. I am here for that theory. Mm. I I, I wonder if there's ever going to be like a spin-off of The Sopranos that takes place on Sodor because I'd really want to see that TV show. Yes. Okay, okay. There are some good parts about the episode, though. Oh, there's, uh, there's plenty as... of good stuff. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. We see Donald and Duck uh, interacting again. This being... Well, whilst we were robbed of seeing uh, them interact during Missing Coach, mm-hmm. we did see them in Donald's Duck. That we did. And it's good to see them interacting again, albeit it is on... A slightly shaky ground as Donald gets mad at Duck and says, Not that other line, oh, that, the other other line. The, the dialogue in this is just mwah, beautiful. It's a brilliant episode podcast, uh, podcasting? <laughs> <laughs> We're podcasting. We're brilliant podcasters, yes. It's a brilliant episode dialogue-wise. Mm. And even more, when Donald backs into the buffers, oh, which yes. then have rails which lead into the pit, you hear this wonderful deflating bagpipe sound. That is just genius. <laughs> and it works so well. I love it. It does. I, I adore it. Actually, side note though, what what was it that Donald crashed into? Uh, <laughs> well, the buffers, wasn't it? Well, he crashed into the buffers, but there was definitive rails behind the buffers. They weren't trying to hide those rails. And then it just sunk into a pit. So was it just a sludge space? Possibly. A rocky outcrop. Uh, the, the, Jack, have you got any thoughts? Um, I think it just could be a place where they could be burning all the metal. It could be a burn pile pit. 
for all we know. <laughs> you got a point there. Burn-offs. During the 1970s, I believe it was, here in Australia, Victoria, when a whole bunch of the old red rattlers, which were uh, wooden Tate carriages, uh, were now out of use as the new Hitachi metro engines came in, they just burnt them. Because they were just made out of wood and scrap p- components that they needed nothing of. Hmm. And it stands to reason that you need a good, safe place to burn off pieces of wood that are used in like the floorboards of an engine or a coach. Mm-hmm. Like, granted, we don't really want to get the idea of a sentient wooden coach burning alive, but, you know, <laughs> oh, no. it is a possibility. So oh, that's no. where the missing coach went. Oh, no. <laughs> okay, okay. I feel it would, now's a good time to get into ratings. Okay, uh, I'll lead off. I think this is an excellent episode. I would give it an 8 out of 10. Great dialogue, great music. I think the arguments that Donald and Douglas have are a little juvenile, but that's, you know, what the story's all about. It's about teaching the simple, childish message that if something goes wrong, just don't have an argument about it. Take it on the chin. Yeah. I've got an older sister. We're we're, we're both grown adults. We bicker like children. That I can believe. Hey. (laughs) Your your sibling, you're more likely to have a childish argument with because it's your brother, your sister, your sibling. It's what happens with them. So I, I'm willing to excuse the childish argument they have purely because it's done in a hilarious fashion with the best accents mm, out indeed. there. And yeah, the narration is another high, um, <laughs> another quality of this story. So yes, mm. all up, it's an eight out of ten from me. Now, Connor. Okay. Okay. So. For me, this episode really shines in the music and the dialogue and narration. Of course, the message of the story can be like, why don't they just not argue? But at the same time, it's 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 what happens. The, having those arguments where you just don't talk to each other for a day and then you go, actually, hang on, we, we probably need to be a little mature here. Mm. But the sets... The sets really, really bring me down, especially with what you mentioned, Jack, about that level crossing not having any gates. Like, this is clear occupational and health and safety violation. Like, like I mean, I'm not going to dox it for points for not being realistic on that note, but the, the, the sets do look so barren in some areas, so I, I'm going to give it a seven for me. All right, that just leaves our guest, Jack. What would you give this story out of 10? Mm, okay. I like the story. It uh, explores a little bit of the character development, I think, in Donald and Douglas. For all we've seen them, we just see them, like, interact with other characters. When we see them together, they're, like, good, good old maids, siblings and all. But when I think about it, this is, like, the first time we actually see them... Mm-hmm arguing against each other. I mean, this is the first. We'd never see them, like, fight before. Though it is, I guess, a little petty and uh, childish, as you said. But it does explore a little bit of a character development to them, I think. But it feels... The story feels a bit more... It would better suit to Mm. Bill and Ben, in a way. You've got a point. Now, if only there was a story that was just Connor, like Connor, this. you're getting ahead of yourself. We'll get to it. Don't <laughs> worry. Uh, there is. 
I wonder if there is. But, yeah, I, I do agree. The premise does feel probably a little bit closer to Bill and Ben. Anyways, loving music. Um, some visual aspects were kind of barren, but there were some that I really do love, especially that nine-time shot of Mafford. I really like that. It, it feels very Tatma. And the long shots of both the viaduct and the watermill Oh, that is, like, to die for. You gotta love, like, seeing a big picture and you see a double-headed train running right in the middle. I said in the previous episode that Series 6 has the best B-roll footage and this story is yet another example of that. It is just beautiful. So what's your rating, Jack? Okay. Story-wise, yeah, I think it's it's a pretty solid story. I think I would give it a 7 out of 10. Okay, okay. And do we have a score for Denim? Denim's actually DM'd me his own scores and, like, ratings. Has he has now? He just... Oh, he's thrown them over to you, has he? So, tell me. For Twin Troubles, he gave it a 6 out of 10. Okay. Ah, okay, okay. He wrote down, great to see the twin engines in the spotlight again. A bit, a little out of character. Yeah, that's a fair criticism. So we can overall agree, it is a strong episode, but it's not the strongest episode. Which leads us to the next episode, the world's strongest Uh engine. (laughs) Where a returnee to the island is having some trouble with the trucks who are teasing him a little bit. This gave the troublesome trucks an idea. As Diesel shunted them together, they started to sing. Is that all you can haul? Henry's loads are longer. Is that all you can haul? Henry must be stronger. Diesel was cross. He was sure that he was stronger than Henry. I'll push you all at the same time, he said. The trucks giggled. Push us all, that's the longest. Push us all, you'll be the strongest. That's me, said Diesel. The world's strongest engine. Uh, yes, sadly Diesel has returned for the upteen time back to Sodor, and the other engines are not so happy about it. But in this clip, you can hear Diesel chunting, and then the trucks again singing nursery rhymes at him. Maybe not nursery rhymes, but definitely singing, albeit mm. without the high-pitched voice. But we still get the chipmunk laugh. We do get the chipmunk laugh. We do get the chipmunk laugh. The chipmunk laugh is back in action. <laughs> Now, what I find really interesting about this episode is that it isn't necessarily an engine v. engine story. Mm. It isn't Thomas having a competition with Terence. It's not Percy being paid out by Gordon and James. It's a story that's purely about an engine literally arguing and fighting with the trucks. They're not being pushed down a hill or anything. It's a slow build-up to what you know will be the eventual downfall of Diesel. And I love that slow burn to Diesel doing it again. Yeah, I mean, I don't know if I can really add much more to that. You know, this is also a first, because we also have trucks playing as the main protagonists of the story. Something that hasn't happened before. Not, not necessarily as the main protagonist, because in the past it's like, okay, Thomas is pushing trucks, and then they've now taken control. But they are being antagonistic via 
dialogue instead of actual mm. damage. It's we'll very say. weird motivations from these yeah. trucks, I have to say, because they're the ones who made Henry have an accident and fall off the line and caused him to be sent away for repairs. And now they want to get rid of Diesel as well. I mean, did, yeah, this seems to me like a universal hatred of engines. It doesn't matter whether they're a Diesel or a Steamy. They just want to cause trouble. Hence their name. Yeah. On the note of Henry's accident, how on earth did Henry have an accident? Well, 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 well we saw in, in, a, in a still from the show there, it was, you know, yeah. his tender we, came we off and his boiler came Henry, off. And... Okay. He's like sort of half fallen off the track and all the trucks have fallen off behind him. Except all the trucks are facing the exact same angle, all perfectly lined up in a row towards the camera. Now, on one hand, you could say that, that Henry may have been going a bit too fast and sort of fallen off the side of the track on the curve. Or, what seems a lot more likely, purely due to the positioning of the trucks, is that he was trying to do some kind of drift, and it went <laughs> wrong, and he's just stopped, and they've also abutted up behind him. That that accident, like, I, I love looking at old railway accidents, and there's brilliant podcast that's all about railway accidents, signals to danger. But this, this does not seem possible to me. Um, well, you know, that's children's television for you, Connor. <laughs> uh, okay, okay. Some things are just better to let unexplained, Connor. Yeah, fine, L- fine. Let's call this a MacGuffin, okay? We, we don't need to worry about Henry's accident because that's not important. The narrative is about Diesel... <laughs> And how he tries to compete with the trucks. Yes. So, as the trucks trick Diesel into pulling them all in a line, he falls for their their tricks once again as he tries to push and pull them. And little does he know, much like he did in his first episode, all their brakes are pinned. (laughs) And they won't move, no matter how hard he tries, until the coupling snaps... And he falls off Mm, the key. I I, I just want to (laughs) discuss Diesel's logic here because he starts by lining all the trucks up and then he moves to the front of the trucks and then he decides to push them back, which doesn't work. And then he decides to pull them instead. And then he pulls them just as hard the second time. And what happens is the coupling breaks and he absolutely powers on Ford and ends up in a canal. Yes. I mean, what what was he expecting to happen if he actually pulled the trucks? I mean, wouldn't he have just come to a stop at the buffers and had to push them back again? Like, yeah, yeah, I'm assuming so. I'm wondering how, like, how the siding works. Like, what was he expecting to do? Was he meant to go to the very end of the siding with the well, 20 trucks? Yes, 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 that's the point I'm making, Jack. I mean, what, what, what does he accomplish by doing this? Apart from proving a point, nothing. At least when, if he was pushing the trucks, he at least has some sort of destination to go. Yes, exactly. Because he's literally going out the siding. And technically, what he should have done, if he wanted the best chance of moving them, because as we saw him shunt them into place, he should be at the other side of the train trying to pull them. Because, much like an Edwards exploit, the first truck moving will help start the next, and then the next, until yes. all 20 of them are pulled. Technically, that's how he should do it, if he is a smart, revolutionary dockyard diesel, as Sir Topham Hat wants him to be. On that note, though, 
Where is Salty? Salty? Well, maybe it's not Brendam Docks. Maybe it's Natford Harbour or Tidmouth Harbour. No, 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 no. I think it's already been established that this is Brendam Docks. Hmm. Based on like the general location, some some areas are familiar. It's already been seen to the audience. But I do have one theory about like this whole story. Okay. <laughs> All right. We established like Diesel already fell into the canal. The Fat Controller arrives on scene with Henry. He looks down at Diesel and says, and I quote, I thought you could be a proper dockyard Diesel, oh, but I was wrong. That is the best impression of Angela's doing Sir Topham Hap that we've ever had on this podcast. That is amazing. Bravo, bravo. <laughs> so... Diesel was initially brought in to assist while Henry is being repaired, and yet the fat controller says he would have been a, could have been a proper dockyard Diesel. So what is Henry doing at the docks then? Because he's like a freight engine; he's supposed to take things long distances. He's not really much use shunting around the yard. Here's a little thing that I just noticed: his repairs took at least a day, which Brings to the question, why was Diesel ever bought in the first place? Yes. I'm saying that the story could have taken place before Salty's secret. Maybe initially, Diesel was meant to shunt at random docks. Or maybe another fact, Diesel's come to help while Salty is away for some reason. Uh-huh. I'm, now I'm just picturing alternate universe where Diesel is painted like Salty. <sighs> As the dockyard diesel. Oh, that's weird. Ah, that's weird. But yes, diesel falls into the canal off the quayside. He seems to do a flip as he lands on the barge because he's landed in a weird way. But, you know, I can't worry about those MacGuffins because the physics doesn't work. Then Henry arrives and he pulls the train with ease. Easy as pie. Yes, specifically. Now, I know I shouldn't worry about MacGuffins. But... I shall in this case, because at the start of the episode, when the Fat Controller says that Diesel's coming around, all the engines are complaining about Diesel. And Thomas says, Henry can pull more trucks than three Diesels put together. Which he can, he's not lying. Can he? Yes. What makes you say that, Parry? Well, if we consult the Thomas the Tank Engine wiki here, we know that Henry has a top speed of... 120 miles per hour, which equates to about 200 kilometers an hour. Whereas young Diesel, and I say young because technically he is younger than Henry, has a top speed of 30, and he's only an 060 engine. He doesn't have the power that Henry has to pull Ah, these long freight trains. I'm afraid here, dear Parry, you're confusing torque with speed. Oh, am I now? Am I Yes, now? you are, because whilst you may be looking at the top speed of these engines, you need to be looking at the tractive effort. Because tractive effort, in railway terms, describes the pushing or pulling capability of a locomotive. That is from Wikipedia. And whilst the Class Black 5 MTs, Henry's Mark II basis, does have a great tractive effort of 25,455 pounds of force... The British Rail Class 8 Diesel's basis has a maximum tractive effort of 35,000 pounds, or 9,545 more pounds of force than Henry, 
which means Diesel can pull as many trucks as 1.37 Henrys. But he can't do it as fast as Henry can. Ah, true. He can't do it as fast (laughs) as Henry can, but this isn't the world's strongest and fastest engine. This is the world's strongest engine. Which, if we are to follow more of these statistics, when Diesel puts together an enormous line of 20 trucks, well, the longest passenger train in the world is actually the Garn, which is an Australian train. I I think you'll find it's pronounced the Gan. The Gan. It it depends, because it's based off Afghan or Afghan, depending on long and short A's. Anyways, which is 30 passenger carriages, runs from South Australia to the Northern Territory. But the longest train ever itself was 682 trucks filled with iron ore, measuring 7.2 kilometres or 4.5 miles. It took six minutes to cross the level crossing. And whilst this massive train did have eight locomotives pulling it, each one, if we divide it, uh, would mean pulling about 85.25 trucks. So Diesel, whilst he is stronger than Henry, he is by no means the strongest engine. And what is the strongest engine? Well, we can thank Mother Russia for that, because the actual world's strongest engine is the Novochokasak 4E5K, which has got a whopping... 17,838 horsepower. You are such a nerd, Connor. I am. Ah, oh, I miss the old misleading. <laughs> <laughs> but, long story short, Thomas is incorrect. Henry is weaker than Diesel. I can definitely understand why Diesel's took over. It doesn't mean I'll like it, but I can definitely see why. Technically, Diesel should have been able to pull it with the brakes on, made it slide, but yes, yes, Diesel should have checked the brakes. In his haste of being very boastful and boosted ego by the trucks, he's just blind to uh, do the final checks and like, I'm going to take these 20 trucks to nowhere. Yes, the, the, the 20... Trucks is very impressive, Diesel. We're, we're all proud of you. Can I just point out a couple more facts? Because I don't want Connor to have all the glory here. <laughs> Go ahead. Yes, this is Diesel's <laughs> first speaking role since Tender Engines, in which he gloated about the fact that Diesel's don't need tenders to poor old Gordon. Of course, he has appeared as a background character in certain stories, but we haven't actually seen nor heard from him since the third series so yeah a rather cunning i think of the producers to bring him back now because of course back in the earlier series he was a massive draw card you know he was the devious Mm. diesel and in merchandise as well of course because he's the same size as thomas and percy yeah which uh thomas and percy are in the other time watching all this unfold but they they just banter to each other they don't really contribute too much to the story, apart from... What's Diesel doing? The the, the final detail, because I'm not going to let Parry have all my glory. <laughs> the, the, this episode seems to be based off a magazine story called Showing Off, which I now realise the irony on me saying oh. that to try and take some 
factoid glory away from Parry. Mm. And <laughs> as well as that, it's written by Paul Larson with input from David Mitten. We, we do love our little random bits of trivia here on the Rider Track podcast. Uh, all, all right. Well, while um, Connor and I are just calming down for a moment, uh, Jack, have you got any more that you want to add? Is, is there anything we've skipped that you wanted to discuss? A, something that I did notice was back at the shed scene, okay, we have the engines... Um, talking after hearing the news of Diesel's eventual return. Percy's like, I hope Henry's mended soon. Thomas mentioning he can move more more trucks than three Diesels put together. But then we come to Gordon. He says trucks are no one's friends. And yet the whole conversation was talking about Diesel's return. That is a very good point. Because this episode... Well, at the start, it doesn't indicate anything about trucks being anyone's friends. I guess Gordon could get that conversation from Henry having an accident with trucks. Yeah, it could be a bit of a factor. But the very notion that he would say trucks are no one's friends is just completely out of left field because this hot topic now is still Diesel's return. And the only reason I feel that line was put in place was because at the very end of the episode... Thomas and Percy go, even troublesome trucks can do you a favour sometimes. By getting rid of smelly old diesel! So, I mean, what is the moral of the story? Don't show off? Well, yes. Yes, okay, okay. And and also that sometimes your enemies can be your friends, I guess? It, 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 it's weird. It's, it's weird, especially that truck storyline about trucks being good. Moral of the story, even trucks can be mega chads sometimes. Uh, <laughs> it's it's now I'm just I'm I'm just maybe I'm just thinking that maybe the very mention of the word trucks would automatically make Gordon say bad things about them. Maybe. Like, it's an automatic response. It maybe. Maybe it's instinctual. It's instinctual. When, when James was taking the express, he, he he just got a great distrust of trucks and just yep. shivers at the thought of Okay, okay. Rankings, though. Right. Because I personally do like this story for its humble storyline. It, it's got a good premise. Mm-hmm. And the sets are a lot better than uh, others in the series. Yeah, it, it's it's... It is still bare at times, like like especially some of the dockyard. You literally see they've just put track down and then gravel underneath, it, and that's that. However, the buildings and the bit of greebling, as it's called, that has been put around the place is very good, and it it does fill up the scene. But sadly, the story and the dialogue at times really do let it down for me. So I'm afraid I'm going to have to give it a five. Ooh. Well, Connor, I'm feeling a bit kinder than you are. I will give this one a 7 out of 10. As Denham would say, it's a humble episode. There is a lot to appreciate. I mean, the narration in particular, Michael Angelis is on fire here. He's absolutely brilliant. And yeah, I like the set decoration. Yeah, the music's all right. It's a 7 from me. Now, Jack. I like this episode. One of my favorite uh, stories from Series 6. Apart from, like, a few misplaced pieces of dialogue here and there, I still think it's a good story. Have you heard about, have you heard Diesel's theme in this series? Very, 
slides the the use of like what is it like maraca shakers yes yes rattlesnake mm. noise yeah 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 it's very fitting into diesel's kind of sly devious character whilst still keeping the uh arabian feel that his original season Ooh. two theme did have yeah yes yes i also find the story very comedic especially Diesel's struggles with the trucks and his uh, untimely series end in the barge. Yes. When I first watched the, the VHS tape of Thomas and the Gen Engine, the world's strongest engine was the very last story of, of that tape. I would go to my VCR machine and play back Diesel falling into the canal because it's just, I just find it so damn funny. Satisfying too. Like, like hell, hell, crash. The smoke billowing, and then, grease uh, and oil. <laughs> I believe it's technically supposed to be like the powder, because Diesel seems to land in a barge full yes. of sand, right next to one filled with flour, which is right next to one filled with coal. <laughs> it, like, I mean, o- honestly, it, it's ex machina that they were there. It's like, I don't know, flour bags underneath a windmill. Hmm. Could you put this here for me? <laughs> no! Did okay, you choose, okay. Here, choose which barge you want to land in. If you can get a number of points to see what, how, which barge you land in. Oh, you land in a barge full of flour. That will lead Good up job. To Good job. Okay, okay. What is your ranking, though, Jack? Based on all that. I would give it a good 7 out of 10. Okay, so Jack and I are singing from the same hymn book so far. Well, last episode, Jack was with me. Oh, oh, so it's one all then. Yeah, yeah, okay, okay. Jack, don't pick favourites. I'm I'm not going to. But it's me. (laughs) And Jack, what did Mr. Denham have to say about the world's strongest engine? For the world's strongest engines, he gave it full marks, 10 out of 10. Oh, did he now? One of the best Diesel episodes, hands down, very classic, can't fault it. Even though we just gave it some faults. Sevens and five. Yep. Had Denon been here, I reckon he could have bumped our scores up a bit. He he, he may have, yeah. he may have. But, you know, that that's what he gets for being a functioning member of society, not being able to make time <laughs> for recording a train-talking, talking train podcast. Oh, all right, settle I'll down, Connor, settle know. down. <laughs> I think it might be time for us to go to our musical interlude. And, Jack, you've actually chosen the song for this week's episode, so tell us, what is it and why have you picked it? Well, I've been, I've been a big fan of yours, and I've noticed that you guys played a couple of the different variety versions of the Thomas the Tank Engine opening, so in this musical interlude, the music picked out is by the little band that could, playing their version of the Thomas the Tank Engine theme, and this is the Right on Track podcast.
just heard the little big band that could with their rendition of Mike O'Donnell and Junior Campbell's iconic Thomas the Tank Engine and Friends theme. This is, of course, the Right on Track podcast where we talk about everything pertaining to Thomas the Tank Engine and Friends. So far today, we've covered the Series 6 stories Twin Trouble and The World's Strongest Engine. And now, in celebration of Halloween, albeit a few days late, we're going to be looking at a Halloween story. Connor, what is it? We're going to be looking at Scaredy Engines. Where, after listening to a little scary story, Thomas, Percy and Duck have been told to go to the smelter's yard, but Percy isn't too sure about that idea. At the smelters, all Percy could think about was Edward's ghost engine. Thomas knew Percy was scared, so he teased him even more. What's that up there? Thomas squeaked. Is it a spook? It's just a piece of twisted scrap! Percy said nervously. Isn't it? Thomas was having fun. He kept on teasing Percy. Careful the ghost engine doesn't get you, Thomas said. There's no such thing as ghost, snapped Percy. What we're hearing there is a role reversal of the Series 3 episode, Thomas, Percy and the Dragon. Because, of course, in that story, it was Thomas who was the scaredy engine, so to speak, and it was Percy who was teasing him for it. And then Percy eventually was the one who became scared, and Thomas was the brave one. And that's translated over here, because Percy's scared, and Thomas is teasing him for it, but then there's a little role reversal after that. And to add that the Series 3 episode, Thomas, Percy and the Dragon, was a role reversal of the Series 2 episode, Ghost Train. Yes, it was. Where Toby and Percy play a joke on Thomas about Percy being a ghost. So there is almost an elaborate arc here that spanned four seasons so mm, far. It's like poetry, really. In, in motion. The locomotion. Poetry in motion. Well done. There you could be like a sort of pattern in a way of the, you know, the, the writers would traditionally write a scary story. Oh, Percy just teases Thomas in this one. Next one is Thomas teases Percy and the pattern continues. It... Yeah, it go, goes back and forth. Mm. Now, uh, Scary Engines, wonderful story and mm-hmm. Halloween based, as I said, Parry. The story by David Mitten and written by Robin Kingsland. Of course, takes place at Halloween, where all the engines love looking at the fireworks. But most of all, they love Edward's scary stories. And normally it's these stories that don't actually contribute much, but this story here that Edward tells about a ghost train looking for his lost whistle actually does play into the story. It's a Chekhov's gun. Yeah, it is. It is a Chekhov's gun. Now, this scene at the start, and Jack, you perfectly illustrated it here. You're listening <laughs> to a variant of the theme from Duncan Gets Spooked. And whilst it isn't too scary, it certainly does get the feel of a, ooh, it's, it's a little uneasy. And then all of a sudden, Gordon, Henry, and James, with Michael Angelus's narration of it, does... Jack, would you mind doing it again? Oh, ah, oh, spooky! <laughs> and that, I feel, ruins the scariness of the scene. 
Well, I think what ruins it, actually, is the, the scene immediately after that, in which it said, a little later, the Fat Controller came. <laughs> fair, fair. Thomas, Thomas Percy, Percy Duck. and Dork. I have a special job for you. Yes, indeed. Okay, I, I just want to point this out. Why are all the engines back at the shed, and why is the Fat Controller only now sending them out to do a job? It's a last-minute call. You know how, like, pizza deliveries... Get like two minutes or less or something. Oh, I'm sorry. No, 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 no. A smelter's yard is not the same as a pizza making business, Connor. You don't just call people up and go, "Oh yeah, by the way, we need a job done." Okay, That's not melt metal, melt cheese, hot place, large metal doors, big no. ovens. Connor, this, this analogy doesn't work. Just, it's just translating move on. wonderfully. Giant claws, spatulas. <laughs> Welcome to the Right on Track podcast, where we're industrial places with pizza shops. <laughs> but, no, no, what I will agree with you is that most pizza shops are open at night. A smelters <sighs> typically wouldn't be. Yes. Unless the Finally. guy in charge decides to ignore labour laws and makes them run. Oh, no. Up. And then the goes part of the, the conspiracy. conspiracy. part of the great conspiracy of the underground of Sodor. On the subject of labour laws, actually, one one of the things we've often discussed on this podcast is this notion of where does the train, the autonomy of the trains begin and the human element end. Mm. In this particular story, we don't see any humans apart from the fat control and the guests at the Halloween, i.e. there are no drivers and firemen. It's almost as though the engines are running on their own accord. Well, well, you do see them at the shed scene. In fact, they are all at the shed scene. And don't forget, the smelter's yard manager was there too. I'm with you, though. You are with me, but just hear me out, everybody. Hear me out here. So, Percy and Duck leave Thomas on his own, and Thomas is getting really spooked, and he starts reversing backwards, apparently on his own accord, because he's so scared, and then he hears the steam whistle... And then he just absolutely thunders out of the smelter's yard. I'm I'm sorry, unless his driver and fireman are absolute cowards too. I don't see how that's possible. Unless maybe he's bumped them off and he's just still going. But yeah, there is a weird question of autonomy in this episode. (laughs) I won't disregard that. But this story, what I feel does great are the little details everywhere. And I'm not necessarily talking about details in set. I've complained about sets enough today and <laughs> albeit there's still some issues with the set now but the red lighting oh. in the smelters is brilliant as all the engines talk of thomas percy duck in the smelters they all have a slight echo to their voice yes you could hear that in the clip we played actually the echoing of all the characters who were in the smelters yard Something that hasn't been done before, and I think that is something that they maybe could have employed back in previous seasons. Further stuff, they manipulate the stills and move and warp them. Mm. It it happens a few times with the spook, as we'll call it, uh, and other hanging twisted pieces of metal, where they seem to warp and bend and shift their shape, which, whilst that isn't actually happening, you can definitely see that if you're scared and you see a shadow of a train, you think it looks like a person. That is what's happening here. It's sort of warping in your mind to be something more scary. And I love that detail. Or maybe warping the fact because they're inside of a hot building. 
They're physically fluctuating at high speeds. No, I think what Jack's uh, insinuating here is the heat haze. It's doing funny things to them visually. Oh, I think they could be. Oh, I like that. Yeah, maybe it has some sort of illusionary effect that can affect the the engine's mm. minds. Yeah, and hey, there there are even more things here, like. As soon as Thomas is left alone, there's a brilliant shot where you're looking through the claws of the claw down at Thomas. And whilst the claw is mostly in focus, you can just see Thomas there, small and alone in this place. And as he's there alone, the Haunted Henry theme plays. Oh, yes. And you get the looks of shadows, and whilst he somehow thinks that chains are ghost fingers, which do ghosts have fingers? I, I'm, I'm not too sure. No, no. Well, I mean, I've ne- never met a ghost, but from everything I've read about them, they're, you know, translucent, and they don't have physical properties. So yeah. for them to have fingers would be weird. But the one part that I've got a question with, but I'll, I'll forgive the MacGuffin, mm-hmm. is Thomas wishes in fear... His steam happens to perfectly ride through the tubing of an old steam whistle and make it blow. Now, I can forgive that purely because the quietness, the unease that's made in the scene there, and suddenly a loud screeching steam whistle, which Edward's ghost engine that was mentioned at the start of the episode plays... It's a brilliant tie-in. It's the Chekhov's gun, Mm -hmm. and it's wonderfully executed for that. Mm. So well done. And then Thomas rockets, as you said, Parry, out to the smelter's yard. Granted, the doors are open, even though, like, 30 seconds before, we see them slowly close. Are they like the automatic doors at a department store? Do they just open (laughs) and close as the engines rock out to them? (laughs) It would have been weirdly funny to see Thomas run into... The metal doors or maybe in a more cartoonish fashion run right through the doors and leaving a giant <laughs> you yes, just leaving a funnel. giant thomas shaped silhouette he's way <laughs> he's off the me. that bit's good as well actually i love how you can just faintly hear thomas's voice echoing as he flies across hmm. the watermill like the shot of the watermill beautiful very reminiscent of tatma that's the second time you've brought that up now, Connor. I mean, are you turning into Tom Denham? What's going on I'm, here? I, I, listen, okay? There, there are similarities between Tapma and Series 6 in terms of their set design, especially yes. at night. Yes. Okay, that, that doesn't, that doesn't mean That does not mean you need to bring it up every time, Connor. That's all I'm saying. J- Jack, you haven't said anything in a while. I mean, what, what's, what are your thoughts on this story? I mean, what else can you add to our mature and nuanced discussion? I'm just going back to the beginning of, like, when Edward's telling the story. Was he making the story up, or was there some truth to that? We'll never know. That's the one of the many mysteries of the Thomas universe, that some things are just better left unexplained. Except when I'm around, because I'm going to try and explain everything. Yes, that's <laughs> um, the one flaw of the writer track. I am her, but fair, fair. Now, I do have one glaring issue with this episode. The ending? Whilst Duck is... Oh yeah, that's what we haven't mentioned, actually, that Duck. We, because he's an integral part of the story, he plays a very active role in it. He, he does, yeah. he, he's there trying to calm Percy down, going, nobody's brave all the time. He tries to throw Thomas under the bus, but going, oh yeah, 
Thomas wouldn't mind staying. <laughs> but the part that I don't like is that as Percy's worried about Thomas missing all the fun, Duck goes, serve him right. Well, he's not wrong. I mean, oh. you know, he, he, he did this. His teasing wasn't necessary. He scared Percy. What Duck could do here is he could learn from Percy because Percy becomes the bigger engine and goes out looking for his friend. And then as they sort of come together and apologise, they together both watch the fireworks and there is a beautiful ending shot Mm -hmm. with both the bunkers of Thomas and Percy looking up at what is obviously real life footage of fireworks going off. And it is beautiful. I've got another question about this because the fireworks are taking place at um, Callan Castle, right? Tidmouth Bay. Tidmouth Bay Castle. Okay. The point I wanted to make is that the sheds are at Knapford and the mm-hmm. castle's in another direction. So, actually, you, you've just completely... My point is invalid right now because you've established it's at Tidmouth Bay and the sheds are at Knapford, so therefore they'd have just as good a view of the fireworks from Knapford. Well, technically, aren't these Tidmouth sheds? Oh, oh, gee, wow. I, 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 this is the problem with Series 6, right? The continuity goes out the window and it means that discussions like this exactly. just become incomprehensible gibberish because the staff and the writers aren't keeping track of where everything's taking place, so therefore we have no idea where it's taking place. This is just opening a whole new can of worms, honestly. It's a bumbled mess, the Soto map is. Particularly, like, in geographical locations. I do have a definitive way for how people can deal with the Sodal map, if you guys are curious. Right, okay, okay yes. Don't. <laughs> <laughs> okay, I have gone through, like, I've got my own variations of the map. I've gone through about three different copies, and it still doesn't make sense. Uh. If you want everything to make sense, it just becomes loop lines connected to loop lines connected to loop lines. Okay. okay. Um, well, yeah, we, we I think we've talked about this story long enough, so should we move on to rankings? Unless there's anything else that we really need to get off our chests. I like the comedic timing of that scene at Callan Station. He's after yes, me! Yes, I don't think he'll be late. Now, that is a brilliant bit of writing there. I do agree on that point. <laughs> Actually, the one complaint, apart from the multiple, uh, the last complaint we'll say I have <laughs> is that they use music from Duncan Gets Spooked. Which is fine. It's, it's, it's fine, great music. fine. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They use music from Haunted Henry. Mm-hmm. But they don't use music in, obviously, the scariest episode, Ghost Train. The oh. Ghost Train music oh. is so good. And we only ever hear it there. And it would go perfect here as Thomas is slowly backing up. Oh yeah, the little Jaws motif. And then the whistle blows and then Thomas flies out with the da 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 That would be a brilliant moment for it. And it's wasted. Please, just use the music again, show. I know you never will, but please. To everyone who's listening, here's a bit of a challenge for you. Try to um, break off um, the Thomas Gets Spook theme and replace it with the ghost train. So Connor will be... More happier with the episode overall. Yes. Yes, please. Someone do that edit. A, th- a thousand cookies. Please. I'm genuinely wanting that. And something I forgot to mention in the last review. If someone could also... Um, I have a challenge for you, for you, the listeners. Perhaps a, a rewrite of the world's strongest engine because of like all the uh, misuse of dialogue and unneeded dialogue. 
perhaps it's a good story for you guys to have your chance to have a rewrite on. Make sure that you keep uh, statistically accurate to that dual data. <laughs> Thank you very much. Thank you. Much obliged. Oh, sorry, sorry. Beg your pardon. Can I say that? What was that last <laughs> word again? Data. Yeah, yeah, that's better. Thank you. <sighs> Potatoes, tomatoes. Okay. Ranking wise, this episode is a mixed mag of treats because some parts are good, some parts are bad. Mm-hmm. And, and it wavers wildly on that spectrum. However, I will say there are more good than bad. It isn't Ghost Train levels are spooky, but what it does, it does well enough to get by in brilliant bits of comedic timing and creative use of Chekhov's gun. I mean, Chekhov's whistle. Yes, I I can only echo all of your points, Connor. I mean, the narration is great. The sound mixing, sound editing is also really good. I don't think we've really delved into that too much in our little review here. It's, yeah, not the strongest or the most coherent story, but it's still got enough to tickle my fancy, so I'm going to give it a 6.5 out of 10. Okay, okay. I'll, uh, yeah, I'll I'll agree. 6.5. Oh, oh, mm. okay then. Uh, Jack. Well, yes, him, Jack. <laughs> now, now we were talking about you siding with one of us in the previous two reviews. Yeah, who are you going to side with now? <laughs> well, that really does depend on my rating now, doesn't it? Mm-hmm. Now, I like, I like to say that I, I like to be fair. It's a good story overall. I, I do enjoy watching it. I never really got much of a scary vibe from like for most of it well the beginning i well the beginning kind of killed me off with the boo ah spooky and then the fact controller turns up you need more voice break there it's oh spooky see there you are brilliant (laughs) all fear is now dismissed the the only scene that i did find like that would work in its own element was when thomas was all alone in the smelters duck and percy left and then you hear the of the, the Smelter's Yard store. It sets the, the scene, the tone. It really mm. gives off a, a vibe of everything is going to be spooky wooky and not going to, and Thomas is not prop, is probably not going to have a great. The, the slow roll of the doors. Yeah. The slow roll of the doors and the loud bang as they clung together. And then you hear the atmospheric ambience of the Smelter's Yard. Thomas is alone in this huge Smelter's Shed. So what does the that score, mean, Jack? Jack? The score, I think what would have helped to make the story a little bit more scary or like a bit more off-putting and eerie was if Percy never checked to see if Thomas was alright and Thomas is just sitting at the back of the shed just being scared as, as he most rightly did. Oh. oh, okay. So it just ends with Thomas maybe just saw looking out at the fireworks in the distance yeah. in, in the railway fetal position, going, there's no <laughs> such thing as ghosts. I don't think you sound very convinced, don't you? Mm, that that would be a very Audrey-esque ending right there. Yes. Yeah. The, the easiest way to make things Audrey-esque is just to leave the engines not with a happy ending. Yeah. Yes, an ambivalent note. <laughs> yes, exactly. Ambivalent. That's a good word. Thank you, you should use it more often. I will, I will. Due to the ambivalence, Jack, yep. what's your ranking? I like to raise the bar a little high, higher. I, I enjoyed it. I think I'll give it a 7 out of 10. Okay, so you're not siding with any of us. Nope. 
Not even one Mr. Denim? You'd actually be surprised, because he's actually given his rating for a 7 out of 10 as well. Uh. Uh. He says, Great to see the return of the Smelters Yard and Thomas, Percy, and Duck working as a trio, but unfortunately, very pandered by the soft ending. I, I feel good points all around. So, two 6.5s and two 7s. Now, where does that leave us, Parry? Well, Connor, that brings us to the end of episode 46 of the Right on Track podcast. Ooh. That's all that really needs to be said there. And of course, we will be continuing on with our reviews of all the stories from series six. Next time, we'll be looking at another spooky episode, Percy and the Haunted Mine, as well as Middle Engine and James and the Red Balloon, and we've got a very special guest joining us for that. Now, Jack, before we round up the podcast, is there anything that you'd like to quickly promote? I'd like to promote that I am working on a full adaption of the book, Wilbert the Forest Engine. Oh, yes. Beautiful. And where can we find this adaption once it comes out, Jack? You can find it on my YouTube channel, Connor. My Thomas the Tank channel. (laughs) Which is NWR58. You can find those links in the little bio description of this podcast. You can also find us on all of our social media. That indeed you can. Of course, you can look us up on our Facebook page, which is facebook.com forward slash right on track Thomas podcast. You can find us on our Instagram, TTTE underscore right on track. You've also got our Twitter feed to look forward to at on track Thomas. And you can also contact us through our website, right on track forward slash podcast. There you can also find our email, reviews, and comments on previous episodes jack if people want to get in contact with you where can they find you you can find me on twitter.com at nwr58 fantastic it's been wonderful having you on the podcast jack all of you listeners will return once more in the future but i'm still connor i'm still parry and i'm still jack and this has been episode 46 of the round track podcast see you guys i'll you this end sayonara Adios. Ad- adios. 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 <laughs> adios. <laughs>